the Digital Families Podcast. I'm Leonie Smith, sometimes known as the Cyber Safety Lady. I'm a cyber safety educator and this podcast is all about learning how to use the digital technology in our homes with more safety and balance. Now with Christmas almost upon us and the last days of shopping for presents looming, many parents and grandparents may be considering a tech toy for the little one for Christmas this year. It could be an internet-connected doll, or a robot, a smart speaker, or even a smart TV. It could be an iPad or some other mobile device. Fitbits and smartwatches are also very popular choices for presents, but how do we choose a safe digital toy for our children? What do we need to consider with safety? And in particular, what about privacy? We know that tech companies use our data to market to us. That includes where we live, how old we are, location data showing the trips we take each day and generally where we go online. But children are supposed to be exempt from all that data scraping, aren't they? Well, let's find out. Also, how secure are these devices from hackers and spies? To help answer some of these questions, and there's a lot of questions there, I've asked Samantha Floriani, a privacy and technology specialist at Salinger Privacy, on to the podcast today. Samantha also sits on the board of the Australian Privacy Foundation. Samantha, welcome to the Digital Families Podcast. Thanks for having me. So you heard all of all of that, and I know it's uh, it's a big list there. <laughs> so let's start with some basics. Um, what is the law around data collection and children in Australia? So the Federal Privacy Act applies regardless of someone's age. So children in Australia are afforded the same kinds of privacy protections as adults. Where it gets, um, where it does differentiate is when it comes to things like consent. So under the Privacy Act for consent to be valid, so to be able to give consent to, you know, do something in particular with, with your data, then you need to be able to be uh, to demonstrate that you have the capacity to give consent. And so the Privacy Act doesn't actually say that that has to be a certain age. It's more about how mature the person is and if they're able to understand what's being happening, like what's going on with their data in order to be able to give that consent. So the OIIC puts that, the, sorry, the Australian, uh, the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner puts that at about 15 years old. But in terms of the privacy protections afforded to uh, children, they're, they're no different to, to those afforded to adults. Um, that being said, at the moment, there is actually a review happening of the Privacy Act. And one of the things that is being put forward for debate is whether or not there should be increased protections for children under the Privacy Act. So something that Salinger Privacy has put into our submission is that we want to see a no-go zone around uh, marketing to, to children or collecting their information for the purpose of like monitoring or targeting or profiling children. Because, I mean, as a particularly vulnerable group, we just don't think that their personal information should be processed that way. And this idea of monetizing the data of children just feels a bit a bit wrong, really. So 
I guess specific examples might be a toy that records the child's voice, and that's a that's a popular thing at the moment to get a to- a toy that records the child's voice, and through AI is able to answer that child with whatever it is that they say. And there's been some incidents, particularly with cloud pits, um, and my friend Carly for instance, where they found that where the data was being stored and where those recordings were being stored was was very insecure. And I don't know if any improvements um, came out of some of those issues where those toys were actually banned in some places in Europe. So with that kind of thing where children are wearing smartwatches that might have a recording facility on them, so a sort of a, um, a Hey Siri or something like that, uh, I'm Is a there something else I can help with? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there you go. <laughs> That's great. Siri, can you mute, mute yourself, please? <laughs> so, <laughs> carrying on from that, there you go. <laughs> I might keep that in because that's hilarious. Okay, so (laughs) um, in that case where uh, there's AI interacting with a child and they're recording their voice, um, they could potentially use those recordings, as you said, to then market to that child if they can link them up with YouTube or some other um, thing that they're watching. So I'm assuming by what you're saying is that the parent has bought that device for the child they set it up for the child. They may not even have the app on their device. It might be on the child's device. So they assume, the manufacturers then, that the child has consent from the adult. And you're saying that in general, at 15, then a child can be independently give consent in general terms. But under the age of 15, the fact that the parent has enabled the child to have access to that is enough consent And does that mean that with that parental consent that marketers and people that manufacture these devices, and they could come from anywhere, um, Australia, America, China, have the right to then use whatever information they get from that child as long as the parent clicks the agree button on that? Yeah, so so there's a lot of things in there. Um, It it will (laughs) depend, as you've said, what's in the sort of the terms of service or the terms and conditions or, or whatever is on that little pop-up box that most people will kind of uh, quickly tick, I agree to. Um, So in there, there might be all kinds of things like who they will be sharing that information with. It may be third parties. It may be for, they may be using it for marketing purposes. It's all in there. But the problem is, is that they're so, they're often so densely written that most people don't have the time or necessarily the the level of understanding to kind of dig through and figure out what's going on. So, Mm -hmm. This idea of consent is a bit fuzzy around if that's actually very meaningful. Um, so that that is a, is an issue. The other thing is that not all of these uh, companies would be covered by the Australian Privacy Act as well. So depending on, you know, who you're buying this device from will depend on, um, you know, will, de- will, will change the kinds of protections that they have in place. For example, the Privacy Act doesn't cover any uh, private company that has a, a turnover that's less than $3 million per annum. So if they're a small company, then they're probably not covered at all. 
Yeah, so if somebody buys um, a device from an, from another country, which we're all doing, we're all shopping online, there's nothing to stop them from having that device delivered and using it in Australia anyway. Exactly. And really, there's, you know, if you're buying toys from overseas or devices from overseas, then they may not measure up to to Australia's standards or, or expectations. So that's just something to keep in mind. Something else is that, you know, there is a code of practice out there for Internet of Things, IoT devices that was developed by the Australian government. But also we need to keep in mind that it's voluntary. So they encourage companies to, to follow these practices, but it's not mandatory. So we might. So there's, there's no uh, sticker or little logo on anything um, that you might buy for your child that said this has passed a certain standard, like, <laughs> you know, you can see not. in a supermarket for, for <laughs> cereal or whatever. Yeah, unfortunately not. We'd, I mean, it would be handy, but no. Yes. Well, that isn't – because what we're finding also is with Apple. Um, I've just downloaded the latest um, Apple operating system um, Big Sur. And of course, there's all kinds of interesting privacy things that you can find there now. I've been playing around with this little privacy icon on the website that shows you what kind of trackers there are. And you would imagine that for Apple devices, privacy is really, really important to them. So it's one of the reasons I assume that Apple are doing so well, if people are worried about privacy. Um, do you think that maybe uh, companies like that might be leading the way and that people would become more discerning about privacy or do you think that you know parents just see a cheap shiny toy that they think the kids will like and they're going to purchase it not really realizing what they're giving away and what the um, dangers might be yeah so i mean as you mentioned uh companies like apple apple in particular has taken some pretty big steps to try to embed you know, decent privacy and security practices into their products um they've kind of taken that as like a a point of difference, recognizing that people are starting to kind of clock on to some of the risks. Um, so they're, you know, they're doing, they are kind of, you know, at least trying. <laughs> there are other issues with Apple, but we can leave those to the side. Um, same with Google, like they also spend a lot of money trying to embed good security practices. Again, there are other issues about Google that we don't have to talk about right now. Mm. And and the thing is with parents as well, like it it can be really tough to be able to figure out what's happening on these devices, who are the parent companies, what, what's the sort of network of relationships where mm. data is being shared, where is it being stored, is it being stored overseas or is it being stored in Australia? It's, it's kind of a minefield. And so I really sympathise with parents who are, who are, you know, looking towards the holiday season being like, I want to buy this shiny toy for my family. Um, and maybe not stopping to think about some of the risks because it's kind of a, it's an uncomfortable thing to think about and it can be a really hard thing to have to make a to have to make a choice to be like well maybe I won't actually buy that toy even though I have a screaming child who's like begging me for this particular toy so it's really yeah. challenging well one of the areas that I'm seeing a huge growth in is smart uh, watches so when I when I was giving talks face to face in schools I saw every, um, over the course of just a year, the uptake of smartwatches for kids. And that, I believe, is happening because a lot of parents are holding off buying phones. They see all the problems with phones, having apps and all that kind of stuff. So they're thinking, I still want to be able to contact my child, but I want to keep it simple. 
And some parents also are very attracted to the tracking device. They like they like the idea of being able to see that their child is safe at school and hasn't wandered off outside the school gate. But there are so many different varieties of these watches. Again, you can buy them from overseas and I've seen a couple of reviews on watches. But that issue of tracking our children through these watches, I think, is a very dangerous one because we don't know who has that information about where our child, our children live, where they go to school, what where they go uh, practice soccer and all those kinds of things. Um, wouldn't you think that they would have more advanced privacy on those types of things where children's well-being is actually, it's not just about advertising to them, it's actually their well-being that's at risk. If somebody can hack into that database online, they can find out all these things about kids. And I think there have been some cases of that already. You would think. You would think that they would have increased protections given that the the vulnerable nature, um, obviously that's it's a really it's a really potentially really dangerous area. Um, something like a Fitbit or like a reputable smartwatch um, they will have particular standards in place, but something, you know, like your uh, connected Barbie or whatever, like what a, your um, plush toy that talks back to you and things like that, those things often don't live up to the same kinds of standards as some of the more reputable uh, brands. So mm. I think we need to be really careful of painting all devices with the same brush uh, because just because something is designed for children doesn't mean that children's well-being is necessarily being taken into account in terms of this uh, data yeah. privacy and data security stuff. Mm. I um on the on the topic of uh, like smartwatches and Fitbits, I think that's I think it's really fascinating that this is an like a growing trend to have mm. kids wearing them. Um, I mean, for people who aren't you know necessarily aware, these kinds of watches and and fitness trackers collect immense amounts of information about where you're going, your health information, like your heart rate and your steps, and they track you through your sleep and all kinds of things. Um, and that can create a really like uh, robust picture of somebody as a person. So if that information does become compromised, then you can find out all kinds of things about someone. Uh, something to keep in mind as well is that Fitbit was just recently acquired by Google. So Google already has so <laughs> yeah. Google already has so much information about you through email and maps and all of its other bits and pieces. So now mm. through this merger, um, acquiring all the fitness data as well, it's all kind of becoming this, you know, quite a big like honeypot of information about people and how they live their lives. And I think for parents, it's a matter of kind of weighing up being like, well, I want to know where my child is, but do I want potentially other people to know where my child is as well? I remember when this first started being talked about, particularly with kids and having uh, location trackers on them through phones or through watches, that there were stories that I was reading about potentially what could happen to that data, particularly the health data, with your children then being profiled, as you've just said, and even for future insurance purposes and that and that goes for people adults as well that if an insurance company if that data was sold to an insurance company your premiums could go up if they looked at your fitbit and just said oh 
not doing enough steps, obviously not <laughs> not very well. The heart rate's up through the roof. Um, your premium's going up. Is is that potentially a reality that that could happen or are there safeguards in place to stop that from happening? I mean, people are starting to sort of uh, cotton on to this issue um, and there are there's some talk about, you know, how do, make, how do we make this fair? How can we make sure that, you know, people aren't being offered wildly different prices for services or, or products or things like insurance, um, you know, depending on on this kind of data and depending on the systems that have been put in place to be able to infer information about us, you know, for example, using a, like a machine learning algorithm or something. I think it's an entirely reasonable thing to be concerned about because, mm-hmm. especially so for, for children, because, I mean, it's already happening with adults if it's not an insurance company, it could be a different example where, say, their workplace wants to be keeping an eye on their on their fitness, things like that. It happens a lot. But with kids, I mean, they've been online for so much longer than us. So they've, you know, all of this data, all of this, like, digital footprint is accumulating over time, which is becoming more and more rich and being able to be combined with all, all different databases and social media platforms and other digital platforms and other devices, it becomes a bit um, unruly. And so I think that we should definitely be thinking about the future, uh, what the future consequences could be um, for these kids who have got, you know, masses amount of information on them before they even turn 18. Well, in the States, there's a couple of um, colleges over there that have insisted that the students download an app onto their device so they can see where they are in college, whether they're attending classes or not. Huge uproar about that. Mm. Do you Mm. see a time where that might happen here in Australia, where schools potentially could say, you must download this app so that we can tell where you are, that you haven't, you know, you haven't bunked off school you're supposed to be in this class and the tracker doesn't show that you're here is there anything in Australia that would prevent that from happening um look in in my experience if the technology is there someone is going to try to use it and it won't always be for the best of uh most wholesome of reasons um and I mean this is comparable to something like for example we already see in Australia there's systems in place to be able to monitor how uh, students are interacting online with the with learning content to be able to tell if they're actually watching lectures or, or online education videos. Um, mm. You know how often they're clicking on things and things like that. So this these things are already kind of seeping in. Um, Hopefully it doesn't go any further, but uh, I'm I'm very cynical, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> I could tell. <laughs> but this is already happening in schools, Samantha, with um, education platforms, as you're saying. Yeah. Uh, you've got schools that that are Google Classrooms, for instance. They basically that's all their technology is all yeah. uh, Google Chrome's and Google platforms. And I know that there was a, a time a couple of years ago where Google got into a lot of trouble because they were using that data to market and they had to uh, lock things down so that, that, that you know, children under a certain age weren't targeted. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are seeing it going into, into education. So well, especially more, even more so at the moment with, um, you know, over this year throughout the pandemic, there's mm-hmm. been increased kids studying from home. And so it means even more apps, even more online participation. And so I, I feel like it's not, even as the pandemic starts to hopefully um, settle down, I don't think that this issue is going anywhere. 
Uh, so, something else that I think um, is really important to like to grapple with when it comes to coming back to these smart watches on on kids or, or fitness trackers is I think that while I understand the desire to for safety reasons um, to to understand where your kid may be um, and to keep an eye on their you know maybe you want to monitor their health uh, you know I, I I can sympathize with that but I think the the question that we all need to be kind of grappling with here is like what are we teaching our kids by having them wear these devices and kind of making them already at such a young age live under sort of digital surveillance uh, dynamics? And that's again, like it starts with the parents and then they go out into the world and they're just going to be under other forms of digital surveillance for the rest of their lives. So it's like part of this idea of like, <laughs> it's part of this idea of like, how, are we normalizing increased surveillance by teaching these kids from a young age that it's okay to always have somebody watching them and 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 collecting information on them and I think there's a bigger sort of societal question there about the sort of lessons that we're that we're teaching I think you're absolutely right um, I look at uh, the app life 360 for example and um, I was at a school uh, I was at a school just early this year and asked the students who were in year nine about Life360, and so many of them put their hands up and said their parents are using it, and of course they hate it. <laughs> and that's Life360 for the listeners is a, a parental control app that basically shows the parents where their child, their teenager is, and also how fast they're going. So if they're in a car that's speeding, <laughs> it tells them all that kind of stuff. And there, if, if you look on TikTok, there are thousands and thousands of videos on there showing kids how to how to evade it and get around yeah. it. Um, well, this is the and, other thing, right? Kids are smart. They'll get around yeah, They'll get around it. So with any kind of parental controls or any kind of surveillance, um, and there's more and more of it out there. One of the things that I always say to parents is this isn't about trying to outwit your child. You can't stop them if they need, if they want to get around it. You can use some parent controls as guardrails. Um, you know, for instance, the tracking device, you might have a child that has special needs that does have a tendency to wander off or to escape. And having something like that is unbelievably helpful. But sometimes those, um, those trackers don't work very well. Uh, if the child takes it off, there's an alarm, but he might <laughs> or she might run off before you've, you've actually got um, a notification of that. So they're guardrails. And unfortunately, what I can see with young parents today is they are so used to constantly being connected. So we're talking about parents in their you know, late 20s and 30s that having their child connected is just second nature. It's part of what they're used to as, as a group. They're not used to not being connected. So it's quite normal for them. But you're absolutely right. That where is this going? And then at some point, those parents have to disconnect from those kids and uh, allow the children some free range. And I've had parents say to me, um, you know, <laughs> really? You have to stop, you know, uh, using parent parental controls when they're 18? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> at some point. Fly the coop at some point. <laughs> and much earlier than that. And I think that's very difficult for parents to, when they've got all this good stuff, which is all the surveillance and technology and they rely on it, and then all of a sudden it doesn't work or the child gets a loner device or something like that. And they're outraged that, that 
they can't just lock everything down and then they don't know how to roll that back. Yeah. And the child will rebel and find some other way around it. Well, I mean, and we, we'll, we'll probably get into this a little bit more later, but I think it's these devices can't be a proxy for a conversation, you know, um, mm. and I think that there needs to be more conversations happening within families about this kind of stuff. And part mm. of that, you know, should be about, well, where are our boundaries? And, you know, perhaps, of course, there are circumstances, you know, say when they've, if a child's got special needs, it's a different context yeah. for sure. But where those circumstances aren't there, it's like, well, what boundaries can we establish that we don't need to rely on a really heavy-handed and invasive technological approach? I think it can be really tempting to just be like, oh, here's a here's a solution, here's a technical mm. solution to this problem, because mm. it's mm. a lot harder, I think, and messier <laughs> um, to not rely on those technologies. In some ways, although setting them up and then trying to work it out is just as hard sometimes. <laughs> I have parents that have got, they've got in the family, they've got an Android device, they've got a, a Microsoft device, an Apple device. None of them all work very well to each other. And they're trying to lock absolutely everything down so that there's a 100% guarantee of safety. Mm. And it's just impossible. And then I'll go to schools where I'll ask the kids, for instance, how do you moderate your own screen time? You know, do you have some techniques that you use to transition from um, your internet connected toy or device to something that's off screen? And the, the kids look at me as if I'm mad because most of them will just say, Mum's got, mum and dad have put a timer on my, on my screen. It's all locked down. Mm. So they don't actually have to learn the skills to be able to transition from yeah. one thing to another because it's it's like an automatic bird feeder <laughs> or, a, or yeah. a dog feeder that that cuts off you know at a certain time yeah and it's so important that kids learn to self-moderate either their content and what they're doing not you know with focusing rather than multitasking and transitioning to other things but they're not learning that so what happens yeah. is all of a sudden that the locks go off at maybe 17 or 18 when they're doing hsc and some of the kids really, really struggle because they haven't built those skills. Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard enough to, <laughs> I find it hard enough to try Adults to, find it harder. you know, to manage my time on, on a screen. So that's that's a really interesting point. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of new uh, smart speakers on the market, Samantha. There's a new one there from Apple. Uh, we know that Amazon are making kids-friendly smart speakers. How safe are they? And are they really listening to us before we say, <laughs> God's sake, because she'll talk back to me again. Are they really listening? I mean, I go to, I'll ask you a crazy question and you'll know which one it is after you've answered this one about <laughs> things listening to us when we're told that they aren't actually listening mm -hmm. and recording our conversation. So if a parent was buying a smart speaker for a child, what do they have to look at and consider? And is it true that the speakers are recording everything around us even where, before we give them that command? Uh, yeah, so this is a... This is a big area. I will confess, like I love technology. Please don't get me wrong, but I I loathe smart speakers. I am <laughs> I am um, so I'm you know just to be full disclosure of my biases here. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, they are not necessarily recording all the time. I think we need to differentiate between like listening or hearing versus recording. 
So in order for them to be able to function, to be able to like be like, oh, hey, Siri or hey, Google or whatever, then they need to have like some level of uh, hearing capacity to be able to pick that up and like then and then switch on. Um, so that doesn't mean they're always recording you necessarily, <laughs> mm. uh, but it does. But some smart speakers will um, accidentally, accidentally uh, activate during the day um, and record snippets of conversations, usually because they have picked up on something that they might think is a keyword, um, and then record a chunk. Um, generally, you can turn that off on some of them. I know with Apple, you can turn it off. Yeah, yeah. There's a setting um, in, I, I can't, can't exactly remember where it is, but it's a pop-up that you get which says, ah, is Apple allowed to record? And particularly with, hey, Siri, it, there's a setting there that says um, that they, they can't uh, record or review. Apple cannot review that because they got into trouble for re- reviewing some of the recordings, didn't they? Yeah, so generally what happens is the the recordings are kept on servers and then occasionally they will be reviewed by humans. But, yes, you're right, some some products will give you the option to kind of like opt out of being reviewed by humans. Um, You know, this a lot of that is kind of part of trying to improve the technology. I'm sure that there are instances where it's um, more malicious than that. But this, that doesn't necessarily mean that people should feel comfortable <laughs> about it. And if people do feel uncomfortable about the, the possibility of somebody reviewing a recording from your house, then that, I think, acts as a really good red flag for whether or not you should have this device at all. If you're uncomfortable with that thought, whether or not it's commonly occurring is kind of irrelevant. That's That should be like a, oh, mm. maybe, maybe this is a boundary. Maybe this is a risk that I'm not comfortable with taking. And it's also really difficult because parents or any humans need to know that. I know with Google, you can go up to your account on uh, a website and delete uh, the data that's collected from, um, delete the recordings from the smart device. So that, that Google smart speaker that they have, you can delete the recordings. But how many people know how to do that? It's it's really sort of enter at own risk, isn't it, with these things? And I, I'm with you on the smart speakers as much as I love technology I don't have one in my house the worst thing I have is it's hey Siri he's not (laughs) he's not hearing me right now (laughs) that's that's the only thing that I'll allow and the rest of it it's like yeah I just think there's so many other places where we are where we are constantly being recorded and our data is constantly being vacuumed up I mean working from home that's already seeping into into the house I just like to keep that keep that little domain my own as much as I can um you sound like a a a typical person that you're working in the field that you work in you know too much so it's (laughs) like you know I work in privacy and so do you (laughs) you must be really really super careful with everything that you click on and that you buy and what you interact with because of your knowledge I try, but the reality is that it's really challenging. It's coming at you from all of these different mm. angles all the time. Mm. It's really, sometimes it can be really unclear what's happening. Mm. So like even as somebody who is actively engaged in this area, it, it can be really challenging. And so I think that 
And what we're starting to see in some of the public discussions is trying to move away from placing so much responsibility and so much burden on individuals to be making those choices every day to mm. putting in some better, like, pra- better practices, <laughs> um, you know, to, to have security and privacy built in rather than it being something that you have to always be on the lookout for. So I know I'm going to get this question from people. I'm going to ask you. It's got nothing to do with toys. It's all to do with Facebook. Um, I still see people saying in in uh, posts and uh, and online that they're absolutely convinced, and some very experienced people in technology, they're absolutely convinced that Facebook is recording them at some point because they've mentioned something to another person and then they see ads for it. And um, I... I don't have an opinion on it, one way or the other. What? What's the well, inside goss here, Samantha? <laughs> well, is, I mean, do you think they're lying to us by saying they're not recording or listening, or are they just that smart at putting bits of, of information together and linking us all together that it looks like that they are they're reading our minds? I mean, I don't think this answer is necessarily going to be as satisfying as your listeners will want. But I would, you know, throw back to you and ask the question of, well, either way, is that, is either way better? Like either they are listening and so they're able to then be like, oh, you were speaking about running shoes. I'm going to show you running some, some ads for shoes. Or they've tracked you around the internet and you, you Googled it yesterday and then mentioned it to your friend and they've used that. Like either way, the impact is kind of, pretty similar whether they're lying or not is is an issue for transparency reasons but the outcome is kind of the same I don't really know there's it's been hotly debated and there are some very um, smart people who who kind of sit on both sides of that so I'm not 100% sure but yeah at the end of the day that the outcome is is the same yes it's minority report which was <laughs> is one of my most Favorite movies, this Minority Report. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, it was made a long time ago. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's unbelievably accurate compared to what we have now. I think it's it's shockingly. I think it was made almost fifteen years ago or something. And of course, Tom Cruise doesn't look any older right now. So this is another <laughs> conspiracy. Um, so finishing up, Samantha, if uh, you if you want to give some advice to parents that are doing some shopping for Christmas, what are your top tips for them to look at, particularly with internet connected devices and toys for their children in order to keep their children safe from their data being hacked or overly scraped so that it's used in the future to profile them where it might get to the point where they can't get a bank loan or an insurance policy? Just a a simple, easy question. (laughs) Uh, Well, I guess the first thing would be, I think, to be really doing your research. And and I, I hate to put that burden onto parents, but I think it's really important to be looking at what it is that you're thinking about buying. Um, I stumbled across this resource that Mozilla, is that how you say that? Mozilla. Mozilla. They've put together um, about different connected devices and um, some of the security and privacy concerns. I'll send you the link um, Mm -hmm. because I thought it was quite quite good and user-friendly as kind of like an uh, elementary sort of search and you can look at side-by-side products and stuff which is which is handy Mm -hmm. um 
but also like you know you know who owns that company have they had any breaches in the past if you like do a quick google and be like x company name data breach or security or or, or whatever just to mm. see what their reputation is like um all of those steps are important to be able to know what it is that you're buying um and then you know reading the privacy policy is as boring as that sounds but you can look for certain things like you know how much information are they wanting to collect and is all of that information relevant like in in your opinion for example um and this could be for a device or it could be for an app or whatever like if if they're wanting to know your uh and I'm trying to think of a, of, a, of a good example, a ridiculous example. If they want to know, like, your home address, for example, mm. for, a, for a, um, a plush toy, maybe you don't think that they need that kind of information. So to switch the critical thinking on and be like, is this necessary? Am I comfortable with it? Um, looking for things like who they're sharing the information with, there's third parties, if you're signing up for all kinds of things. Just, just if they're owned by Google. Um, or bite dance yeah yep knowing (laughs) knowing like who the parent company is is a really good thing to to check out Mm. um and then if you decide to buy the thing you know things like checking default settings default settings are often set to the lowest privacy protecting settings that there are so checking those changing those settings um if it's a connected device that's going to connect to your home network, then making sure that your home network is really secure and you've got really good passwords happening because your network is only as secure as the weakest thing in it. So if you've bought smart Barbie, who isn't so smart, then um, then it doesn't matter if your, you know, your other connected devices are really secure. If that's a way in, um, then that will cause a problem. So trying to make sure you've thought of all sort of entry points oh and then (laughs) and then of course and then give up and get your child a lovely book (laughs) (laughs) well yeah I mean don't don't buy it um no but no my favorite one have the conversation obviously have the conversation with your family and with your kids something that I think is really important to to grapple with is that kids and teenagers may have a different idea of what privacy means compared to the adults in the family. And that's okay. They don't have to mean the same thing. Privacy is a bit of a wibbly wobbly ever moving uh, construct. So I think having an open conversation about what privacy means, what expectations are about safety, about things like red flags to look out for and, and keeping that as an open conversation um, rather than just being like, you will not use this device and you will not enter this information. Mm. I don't think that's a particularly effective way to make anyone do anything, whether they're a child or not. So keeping Mm. this open family dialogue about risks and about, um, you know, potential dangers and about expectations, I think is is kind of the most important step out of all of the other technical ones. Yeah. And that that also means that parents need to be um, more informed about risks and privacy because you it's difficult to have those conversations with your children if you don't have any idea of the risks so that you might think as an adult oh it's perfectly fine to give away my phone number or to put my child's phone number on this um this platform or whatever and they don't find out that there's something wrong with it and until the child gets a call 
some creepy call from somewhere, whether it's a marketing company or a, or a predator online. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's also for parents. It as you said, it's it seems unfair to put the onus on parents, and and I agree with you. A lot of these uh, there needs to be far more regulation with these companies. They you shouldn't be able to walk into, you know, one of our stores here in Australia and pick up a a, a robot for your child without feeling that there's enough security in there that it's safe for you to buy for your child because reading those terms and conditions I mean nobody wants to spend their time doing that you don't understand the language (laughs) I know Um, I work in an aspect of this space and even for me um, looking through those terms and conditions it's they've they've written like that on purpose just to bamboozle us exactly Thank you so much for your time today, Samantha. It's been fascinating and I do hope this helps parents making some decisions about what to buy uh, and what not to buy their kids. And and, um, do, yes, Googling is a good idea. There isn't like one particular resource that I can can point to other than choice. Choice sometimes has some very good comparisons. Um, You do have to sign up for choice now. That's C-H-O-I-C-E here in Australia. Common Sense Media compare uh, online apps and things like that rather than toys. So we actually would be a great idea if somebody came up with a platform that had a sort of a um, safety for toys and things like that that um, parents are likely to want to buy for their kids. Well, thanks for having me. It's been it's, it's been fun. Great. Samantha, uh, and people can find out more about um, Salinger from which website? Salingerprivacy.com.au. That's where we are. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Samantha. Thanks for listening to the Digital Families podcast. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review or some feedback on your favourite podcasting app, whatever you're listening to us on. I'd love to hear what you think. Maybe you've got a suggestion for a potential guest. Tune in again next week for our next chat about all things digital and how it affects families. (laughs) 